0: Thank you, bro. Yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. I trust you've had a good week. I'm always uh, amazed when we sing songs that we just don't mouth the words. Um, So as uh, we were singing those songs, uh, there were several things that really jumped off the page in my heart and mind. First of all, I think about the Lord being our chief cornerstone I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, when they built the Sears building way back in the day, a story was told that uh, the Sears building, if I'm not mistaken, though it's not called the Sears building anymore, 110 stories in the air. So you can imagine what kind of foundation you would need to anchor that building in the winds of the Windy City, Chicago. And uh, it was said that there was a ball... That was put under the ground, underneath that foundation, that would be able to move a little bit on its axis. So when the building was being blown at the very top, that it would flex enough—maybe not that the physical eye could see, obviously—but that it would flex enough that the building literally just wouldn't snap off at the top. And uh, I've been on the <clears throat> the hundred and fourth floor of that building, and uh, it's pretty interesting uh, when you uh, do that. In fact, I think. I can't remember if it's the Hancock or the Sears, but there's a place in Chicago where you can go up to the 100th floor and you can actually walk out on a glass plexiglass out so you're actually looking straight down. I don't know if I'd want to do that, but uh, I've never been good. I remember when I was a younger man, even when I was uh, enjoying... Roller coasters at King's Island, you know, the vortex and flipping. I couldn't walk to the Eiffel Tower and stand and just look over. I felt like I was going to fall off. But aren't you grateful that the Lord is our chief cornerstone? Uh, We don't build on any other foundation but him. And then certainly as I was uh, thinking about, you know, running into his arm, I was mindful of Luke 15 where the great picture of God the Father runs to the Son who's rehearsing his repentance prayer It's the only place uh, in Scripture where you'll see that actual word of running, how God runs to us when he sees a heart that is repentant, a heart that is seeking salvation, seeking forgiveness from him, how he just runs to that person. His spirit runs to us. And so grateful that worship is embracing, haven't we? I don't know about you, but I'm a hugger. I always have been. And uh, just thinking as we were singing the song, can you imagine... Can you imagine when we'll actually feel the embrace of our Lord physically? Can you even imagine that? How hard to fathom, you know? The the warmth we'll feel, the love we'll feel, the closeness we'll feel. And so, um, so I pray that as we sing songs, and I'm grateful. I see uh, Carolyn Denny sitting back there, and I'm always grateful that I was taught very well in my. Uh, young days at Whitehall Baptist Church with Brad Pilkington leading the importance of what it meant to praise the Lord. And we we had some throw-down times back then, didn't we, uh, with the quartet singing and Debbie and Bob and them and, and then Brad. And and uh, I remember one of the things that we really enjoyed as we think a little bit about praising today, um, we had, what was it called, the summer concert series, something like that. And we would have these big-time Artists come in, and I mean big time. They were big time names back in those days, and, and uh, they would come in and sing. And so we had, we had kind of a mini concert. You know, it, it's interesting in these days of technology, you, you don't really need a praise team. But, I mean, you can, you can plug up a song or plug up a video and have the best praise singers in the world, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and have the best praise singers in the world and just have a prompter. And so um, praise is such an important time, especially in these days. You know, uh, we're living in a day where a lot of people don't think there's much to be happy about, but obviously there is a lot to be happy about. If you have health this morning and you can walk and talk and breathe and move from one place to another, praise the Lord. Uh, There are a lot of people that can't do that this morning, and so uh, I hope that you'll uh, just be encouraged by today. You know, I've been reading through the book of Acts this month and kind of studying the book of Acts, and as I thought about Thanksgiving, you know, normally it's customary that a pastor would preach a Thanksgiving uh, you know, message during Thanksgiving week, and I was mindful of one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 100. I'm out of the CSB this morning, but um, there the Bible says that we are to what? Shout joyfully unto the Lord, that we're to serve the Lord with gladness. We're to come before his presence with singing. We're to, we're to know that the Lord, he is God, and he's made us, not we ourselves, and we are the sheep of his pastor. We are his people, and that therefore... We enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. We bless his name because his faithfulness is obviously good and his love and faithfulness endures through all generations. And so as I was uh, thinking of that psalm this week and thinking of thanksgiving and um, really kind of all the restraints we have about gathering and all those kind of things. And um, a lot of people doing a lot more complaining these days than thanking These days, I was mindful of a story uh, that is uh, found in Acts chapter 12. So I'm going to ask if you will just to turn with me over to Acts chapter 12. And uh, for those of you joining us on Facebook, I'm grateful you're taking time out today. I'm, I'm always grateful to be here. Uh, No matter what the circumstance, Greg called me. I think it was Monday or Tuesday, and said, "Hey, Jack, I've got the COVID. Are you, are you, happen to be free this week?" And I said, "Well, actually, I am free this week. I'm not free the next three, but I'm free this week." And so, uh, it was always a good opportunity to come over and spend some time with y'all, since how we know each other pretty well uh, over the years that we've had to minister together. And so, that this morning, I want you just to be thankful for or to think on this thought, things to be thankful for. Now, as we were asked this morning, what are we thankful for? Normally, we think the simple things, and we certainly should be thankful. As the girls were laughing over there, and we were being asked, I said one of the things we're we're grateful for is laughter, you know, that we can still laugh in the house of the Lord, and certainly we want to be thankful for pets because they show a great deal of love uh, to us, unless you have a crazy cat like mine who loves the mother, loves my wife, doesn't love me, Uh, but... uh, You know, we're thankful for so many things, but so often we're just thankful for the shallow things. And I don't mean that as a point of contradiction, but just there's so much more to be thankful for than just the simple things of life that we almost always take for granted. And I want to share four of those things with you today in this context of Scripture. And so just to kind of catch you up, we know the book of Acts is a story of how the young Christian church began to grow and how it Grew from Jerusalem and eventually it would grow into the uttermost parts of the earth. And in chapter 8, 9, 7, 8, 9, 10, we see, uh, you know, Stephen, one of those uh, young men full of the Spirit that the Bible tells about us in Acts chapter 6. It was helping with the, the division between the Hellenistic and the Grecian uh, Jewish w- widows and how he began filled with the Holy Spirit and eventually how he lost his life at the hands of Saul of Tarsus, who was a man. Who was destroying God's church. And of course, then we find the next page of the story. Saul's on his way to persecute the church, and God arrests him in his spirit on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, Saul is now a believer in the Lord Jesus, and he begins to proclaim the Lord Jesus. And of course, people were kind of astonished at that. Here's a man who had been killing Christians. Now he's a Christian himself and, and trumpeting Jesus. And then we see that the persecution breaks out against the church, the church is scattered, and it begins to go into the, the known world at the time, and everywhere people went, they were proclaiming the gospel. And then, interesting, during this transition, as you think about Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where the Bible says we are to be as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, is that... As that was taking place, now the gospel uh, was not only going from Jerusalem to the whole world, but if we think about what Romans one sixteen says, it says, for salvation, once well, first comes to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. So in the stories now, we see the gospel going out to the Gentiles. And so not only to the Jewish nation, which was God's chosen people, but now to anyone who would respond by faith. And so we see that as they do that, the church eventually finds itself scattered to this little uh, province called Antioch, and there the Christians begin to grow in the lord and Peter's kind of the main person that we see in the early parts of the book of Acts and how peter's bold and strong and he 's leading um, you know prayer meetings and he's leading uh, preaching and he's encouraging the saints and uh, really just fulfilling his ministry and then all of a sudden we see as Saul gets saved it kind of a transition from um, From Saul or from Peter to Saul, eventually we would call him Paul. And then in in chapter 12 is kind of like the last time we really see Peter mentioned significantly in the book of Acts. And so this transition takes place in a story where we find uh, Peter imprisoned. And so I want to just uh, share with you some thoughts from that story this morning, uh, things that we can be thankful for. If you follow along with me, I want to read chapter 12. Verses 1-24, through thus says the Spirit of the Lord, um, under the inspiration as Luke writes, uh, continuing this story about the Lord Jesus and all that he did before he was called up and then taken away. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, about that time King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the days of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. On the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. "'Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. "'Striking Peter on the side, he woke up and said, "'Quick, get up!' "'Then the chains fell off his wrists. "'Get dressed,' the angel told him, "'and put on your sandals,' and he did so. "'Wrap your cloak around you,' he told him, "'and follow me.' "'So Peter went out and followed, "'and he did not know that what took place through the angel was real, (laughs) "'but thought he was just seeing a vision.' After they had passed the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and immediately the angel leaves Peter. Well, then Peter came to himself and he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. Well, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door in the gateway, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gateway. You're crazy, they told her, but she kept insisting that it was true. Then they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astounded. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he explained to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Report these things to James and the brothers, he said, and then he departed and he went into a different place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and he ordered their execution. That's a job I wouldn't want. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there. And some commentaries would say that he was so disappointed and upset that God had miraculously or somehow Peter had disappeared that he was ashamed and went on down to Caesarea. And if you remember, Caesarea was a place that Matthew 16 says was really the, the loins of the immorality of the earth at the time. So verse 20 says, He had been very angry with the Tyrenians and the Sidonians. Together they presented themselves before him, and having won over Blastus... Who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So on an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a public address to them. So here are all these things. This famine's going on. There's things going on. And so Herod's kind of disappointed. He's accessory. And then next thing you know, he's he's taken his position of authority and, and uh, priority of life as the king. And he says... The populace began to shout, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and he became infected with worms and he died. Then God's message flourished and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem after they'd completed their relief mission on which they had taken or which they took uh, John Mark. And the Lord has blessed blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we are mindful today that you are the author of life, that you are the giver and sustainer of life, that indeed you are the rock, the foundation of all of existence. Everything was created by you, for you, through you to display your glory, and that includes us, the pinnacle of your creation, humanity. We are grateful for the word of God. We are grateful for the comfort it brings, for the challenge it brings, for the forgiveness it offers And for the reality that we can walk by faith, not by sight, and we can make a difference in this world as the Holy Spirit reigns and rules in our hearts and minds. So this morning, as we've gathered your body and there are people gathered all around the world that are proclaiming your truth and worshiping your name today, may we join our hearts and minds with them. May you give us from your word something that we can take this week with us that would encourage us in our faith, allow us to witness to others, and be very, very thankful that we have a relationship with you. And because of what you've done, it even offers an opportunity. In fact, you've opened the gates of heaven that we might walk in today, not only in spirit but in truth, but in our physical hearts and minds, to a spiritual reality that you're on a throne, that you're moving the world into a direction to its end, but that you bid us to come because of the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. And so we are grateful that we can even speak your name today. Um, and it can be heard by us and by others and by you, most importantly, you. So just help us today. Encourage our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice four things here I think we can be thankful for. The first is intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer. Did you catch verse 5? So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. Now, it's important to note that this is corporate praying. That the body of Christ had gathered in uh, Mary's house at the church that was gathered there, and they are earnestly praying for Peter and for the situation that Peter found himself in. If you'll remember, the Bible tells us over there in the book of James, in chapter 5, as it's related to the story of Elijah, that the the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But also we're mi- reminded that Elijah was a simple man like us and that he prayed earnestly for three years that it wouldn't rain. And then when he prayed again, it rained. And if you remember that story over there in 1 Kings um, back in the day. And so it's important that we understand the importance of intercessory prayers. In fact, Paul's ministry in 2 Corinthians 1, 11, and Ephesians six nineteen and 20 it would be a reminder to the people that Paul said, listen, my, my ministry can't be effective without God's people praying for me. So let me say that in regard to your pastor. Greg's ministry, your leader's ministry here, can't be as effective as it could be without your continual, fervent, effectual, earnest prayers for them as you go through your life uh, as they're leading the Lord and as, or as they're, as they're serving the Lord and the word is interesting because it really describes a mood of powerful praying. So it's not just verbiage, but it's it's kind of the same thing, and it can be utilized in the same word of the earnest and fervent and effectual prayers and the struggling of prayer and the mood of praying that Jesus did in the Garden at the Gethsemane. It's really an intensity of crying out in the depths of one's heart, soul, and mind. So it's more than just the words. It's the meaning. It's the feeling. It's the interaction. It's the reality of the situation you find yourself in. And so there are so many examples in the word of God. You know, you think about Abraham when he was pleading with God that that he would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You think about Jacob, how he wrestled with God and said, listen, I won't let go of you till you bless me. You think about Moses who would say to God, why in the world would you give me these people to lead? They're hard-hearted, they're hard-headed, and I'm sure many a pastor has said that. And I'm sure your pastor might have said that about y'all. I know when I was pastor, I certainly said that about my flock that the Lord gave me. But even in that, remember that Moses said, listen, Lord, because of who you are, please don't destroy your people. In fact, it would ruin your reputation. And I would rather you take my name out of the book of life than you do anything to your people. I mean, that's really crying out to God in prayer. I think about Hannah, uh, who was barren in her womb, and how she just was broken in sorrow and said, listen, Lord, if you'll give me a child, I'll dedicate that child to you. And of course, we know that Samuel was that child. And then you think about David in the Psalms that he wrote uh, during his time of agony in his own heart and his own spirit, um, when uh, he sinned with Bathsheba, and the Lord brought conviction to his heart. And in Psalm 51, he said, against thee, the only Lord. Have I sinned? He said, therefore, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't cast me from your presence. And then he reminds us that the Lord really loves a contrite and broken heart. And so I think about all the things that intercessory prayer, that there are people that are always praying for you. Do you realize Jesus isn't asleep today? I mean, right now in this moment, he's in intercessory prayer for the world that it will continue to be sustained, that people will still be saved, that they'll continue to be growing in the Lord, that there'll be a light shining in the darkness. So Jesus lives today, seated at the right hand of the Father, constantly interceding for us. As I think about my life, I think about so many times, uh, way back in the day when Whitehall, um, we began to think about doing uh, Bible studies outside the context of the, of the building there at, uh, in Whitehall. And um, there were a group of us that went up to Cleveland, and Lyman Coleman, who was a Methodist pastor, had had just written the Bible, the serendipity uh, Bible for study groups. And so he was talking about a ministry um, that would begin to take place, that churches would not just meet in the building for Sunday school, and that fellowship and discipleship wouldn't be confined to a building, that it literally would go into the highways and byways of life. And I'll never forget. Uh, we, uh, if you've ever seen that particular study Bible, and if you don't have one, I'd recommend highly that you get one. Uh, it's great for just uh, informal uh, and great depth um, Bible studies with people gathering together in small groups. And I, I remember they put us in groups of eight because that was the idea number. And uh, we were there's probably five or six hundred people there, you know, from all different types of faith that were really interested in what it would mean to have cell groups or or small groups or study groups outside the confines of the building of the church. And I'll never forget, I was in a group of eight people, and at the end of that uh, about a six-hour seminar, uh, Coleman said this. He said, so I want everybody in the group to give something to somebody else in the group that you feel would be important as you think about the koinonia, this kind of... All of a sudden, this six-hour getting to know people. And remember, koinonia is that place of intimacy that the body of Christ is continually searching for. And I'll never forget, it was a priest. And he, uh, he said, I'm not, I don't have anything. I, I'd taken out a couple things in my wallet and given it to a couple people in my little group of eight. But he said this to me, and so this was 19... Oh, gosh, let's see how... This would have been 1989... He gave this to me. He said, Jack, I want you to know this. As you serve the Lord, I want you to know that God always has someone somewhere praying for you. Didn't register at the time, but I could tell you story after story after story of people who've come up to me long after things had happened in my life to say, hey, you know, by the way, on this certain day, I prayed for you. I don't know why. The Lord just kind of impressed upon me to pray for you, and I did. I did. In fact, Ron Branch is one of the pastors in Siota Valley. I'm helping them currently as an associational missionary. And uh, he tells a story that happened not too long ago that he was literally at death's door. Uh, He had had some difficulty uh, with his uh, kidneys and dialysis and that. And basically the doctors had told him, and this is probably about two months old. This story is probably two months old now, uh, maybe three at the most. And he said that uh, basically the doctors had told his wife, hey, uh, he's not going to make it. So you need need to call in family. And so obviously he did make it, and he wrote a story, which should uh, appear in this month's Ohio Baptist Messenger. About uh, two weeks later, he got an email from a person whom he knows, and he said this person said, Hey, by the way, I don't know what's going on in your life, but a couple weeks ago at this time, for two hours, the Lord entreated me to pray for you. And wasn't it interesting that the two hours that that person was praying for Ron was the two hours that they said, he's probably not going to live and he's going to leave this life. And so one of the things, God is a God who still reacts and responds to intercessory praying. So there's always someone praying for you and you need to be praying for others. And so we need to learn lessons corporately, individually. We need to Be thankful for intercessory prayer. I'm grateful that there's someone standing in the gap between me and the Lord that the Lord would not destroy me today because he would have every right to destroy me because I'm a vile and wicked man. I have a wicked heart, and I'm a man who fights with my flesh continually, but the Lord won't destroy me. Why? Because not only is someone praying for me, but the Lord has forgiven me and stands in that gap for me. Next thing I want you to notice is not only that, we need to be thankful for supernatural assistance supernatural assistance. Now here we're mentioning angels. Anybody ever think you've had an encounter with an angel? You know, the Bible talks about us entertaining angels unawares, you know, those kind of things. And what's interesting is that there was a prevalent thinking in the day that each person had a guardian angel. That's why when Peter shows up at the door and he knocks and Rhoda sees him, and she's astonished. Isn't it interesting that maybe they didn't have expectant prayer? They're doing a lot of earnest praying. But all of a sudden, here's Peter at the door, and she runs back and tells the church that's inside, hey, Peter's at the door. And they go, no, 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 it's his angel. So there was a, there was a prevailing thought that a person had an angel and that this angel sometimes looked like that person. And so that's why the church in that day thought maybe that Peter, really it was Peter's angel who was coming, uh, and knocking on the door, and not Peter. Now, if you think about it, we know an awful lot about angels, don't we? Uh, first uh, or 2 Peter 2 and 11 uh, tells us that, that angels are superior to man in power, and they're also superior to man in intelligence. Uh, we know that God created the angels. We know that um, they were present to rejoice when God created the earth. Job reminds us of that. Uh, we know that Hebrew says that they are spiritual beings. We know that they can take on human form. We know that they appear to us in dreams. Uh, we know that they have names. Uh, you have to think about, you know, the archangels. With Michael, Michael uh, normally his ministry was just to intercede and help with the nation of Israel. Then in the New Testament, we hear about Gabriel, and Gabriel, it seems that his ministry was specifically to come and to help God's servants who were serving on the earth at that time. And then, of course, we know that there's a bad apple in the bunch. We know that there's another angel named Lucifer who sought the glory of God, and God cast him out of eternity past to this earth, and that he's been known as the serpent and the devil and Satan ever since then, so we know about him. We know that angels were present right after Jesus was tempted, that the angels came and they ministered to him as he began his public ministry. We know that angels were near him before his death. And so one of the things that we, we, uh, we need to be aware of is that we do have this supernatural assistance that God brings to our lives at just the moment that we need it. And certainly, angels have a ministry to the body of Christ. If you think about it, what do angels do? Well, they come to help us. Uh, And in this case, what did they do for Peter? Well, first came to help Peter. It's interesting that I find that he's wrapped up in chains, but he's sleeping. In fact, he's probably just dead asleep that the Lord has to wake him up. So I think there might be a little principle that we could say there. Even in our problems, we can have peace in our problems because we serve a great God, and God is working on our behalf. So not only does he come to Peter, but he awakens Peter, and then he tells Peter what to do. You know, he tells Peter, hey, get dressed, put your sandals on, Uh, follow me, I'm going to take you outside the city, which he does. Uh, He removes Peter's chains, and then uh, obviously uh, there's at least a reference, I would think, that if the gates opened by themselves, that probably the angel had something to do with those gates being opened by themselves. And isn't isn't it interesting that here this supernatural helper, this supernatural assistant comes, and then he finds himself going to the church and knocking on the door, and they won't let him in. I think that's kind of interesting that that, that takes place. But there is supernatural assistance available to us. Here it's angels, but if you think about it, there are other supernatural things that take place. And it Have you ever noticed how active and alive the Word of God is in your life? and how the written page can become supernatural in God's application to it in your life. I mean, I'm always amazed at how God always has a word for us at just the moment we need that word. And then there are things that we don't think about supernaturally. I mean, the processes are put in place supernaturally maybe. We might be able to understand it. But you think about something you might need. I remember way, way back in the day, uh, when I was in seminary, that Jenny and I had a really, really difficult time financially in our third year of, of seminary, and we uh, we found ourselves in the midst of a very, very difficult financial situation, and we had very little money in the bank. Uh, for about a week, we were eating peanut butter and crackers, and of course, we had three kids with us and an aunt that was living with us at that time. And so, I mean, it was it was. Um, I mean, we basically maybe like uh, the preceding verses of uh, chapter twelve, there, the end of chapter eleven. We felt like we were in a famine. Uh, we didn't have anything, but we were trusting the Lord, and I, I'm normally a pretty outgoing and up-tempo up guy, and uh, I was kind of down in the, the face that day, and one of my brothers came up to me, and the Lord said, hey, man, what are, you, what, are, what are you, you're not yourself, what's going on? And I didn't tell him everything, but I said, you know, we're having some difficulty. Well, Jenny, this was on a Thursday night, so the very next day, Jenny, my wife, was actually working as the mail clerk at, uh, at the college that day. Uh, That was her job as we were going through seminary. And um, she got this letter, and so uh, I had gone to school, and I came up uh, from school with a friend of mine. We'd pick up Trace, my youngest, at the preschool. And and so what was interesting is that when we uh, walked into the room, um, we couldn't see our kitchen table or our countertops because they were full with bags of food. And I thought, of course, we didn't lock the doors. There was no need to lock the doors. But apparently the brother in the Lord I talked to on Thursday night had kind of shared that with somebody. And so when I opened the door at about noon that day, couldn't see anything. At the very bottom of the last bag at the center of the table uh, was an envelope. And all the all the envelope said is, God is good. And when I opened the envelope, there was actually... Um, a bill that we needed to pay and it was interesting that the bill which we had no money to pay um, the money that was exactly, I mean to, almost to the penny of the bill that was that was uh, needed to be paid and then if that wasn't enough Jenny came in the house a little bit later that day and she was extremely excited and I said why are you so excited? She goes well you got this letter from from Rikert so uh, being in Groveport you know before I went in ministry I, I was one of those evil used car salesman, uh, and uh, I sold for Riker and had a great time doing that and made a lot of money doing that, but we went away to college, didn't have any money, and so, so this is the point of the supernatural thing, and though I thought it was supernatural because of the timing of it, so we basically had nothing. I mean, we obviously had this money to pay this bill, and then we, we uh, had food probably for the next couple weeks, but isn't God able to do abundantly and measurably more than we can think or imagine? And so Jenny hands me this letter. I open this letter. It's from Brett Reichardt, who's the owner of uh, him and Fred, and Pete are the owners of Reichardt Ford. And he said, hey, Jack, it's been a couple years since I talked to you. Uh, Just want to let you know we were thinking about you. But, you know, we were doing an audit recently, and there was a deal that you had sold three years ago, and we greatly underpaid you for that deal. And so we thought we'd send you this check. Now, to me, knowing Reichardt Ford like I do, that was supernatural. (laughs) Now, if you bought a... Red, if you're out there, I'm sorry, man. (laughs) But uh, but it, it was interesting because the timing of that, that literally would have had to have begun a couple years, even to go back that far to the audit, and then on the day that God's meeting our provision supernaturally, here's not only all the things that we had just received, but then he gives us something else. And so don't ever... Lose sight to be thankful that God has an army of people and an army of things at His disposal and an army of angels that He can just say, hey, lickety-split, you go help that person. And they do. And we need to be thankful for that because we don't necessarily always see. And maybe we're like Peter. We get out of this situation and we're blind that the Lord's even delivered us from the situation till sometime later. So intercessory prayer... Certainly supernatural assistance. The third thing is we need to be thankful for undeniable deliverance. The bottom line is Peter gets out of this situation. I mean, he is destined the next morning to be executed. I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road in a person's life as they're serving the Lord. And as I was thinking about that, and I was thinking of a couple other things this week as I post a couple things on Facebook, Aren't you grateful that God is a master at showing up when we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place? I mean, God's a master at showing up when we are between a rock and a hard place. Even though he does it in his timing and his way for his glory and our good. I mean, think about the nation of Israel. For 400 years, they cried out for deliverance from bondage. But eventually, God brought them an undeniable deliverance. Uh, not only from the egypt but one of the things i'm i'm always interested in is when Mo, you know moses of course goes back and he's 40 years in egypt he's 40 years in the wilderness and he or he's 40 years in egypt and he's um 40 years in the desert and then he's back to 40 years in the wilderness before he gets to the very uh, gates of uh of uh the promised land and of course he's not able to go in but could you imagine being at the red sea the water's in front of you. You can't pass. The army of is of uh, Egypt, a powerful, powerful army, greatest army in the world at the time, is behind you, and they are closing in on you, and you don't know what to do. So you're thinking, this is it, boys, you know? And of course, we know that once the Lord miraculously delivered them, the people, instead of saying, thank you, thank you, thank you all the time, went about three days and got mad and started building calves and <laughs> doing other things, how 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 easily we lose our our memories, right? But think about that. You think about how the Philistines, uh, you remember the story uh, when God just sent his angels into the Philistine or or into the Assyrian army and just wiped them out, 100,000 plus, because he was just, what, undeniably delivering the things that were taking place. How'd you like to have been Daniel in the lion's den? Hey, man, would you mind coming over here and laying down so I can get some rest here tonight, you know? (laughs) I mean, or or what about uh, the fourth man in the fire uh, with with the Hebrew children? And if you think about it, God uses all these things, not only angels that we just talked about, but he he used the prophets, he used the judges, he used the kings, he used his angels. Uh, What about Joseph? Man, think about Joseph and how God undeniably delivered Joseph on more than one occasion. I think about Gideon, you know, he's over at the threshing floor, and the Midianites are oppressing the people, and he's, God comes to him and calls him a mighty warrior, and he's like, wait a minute, you got the wrong guy here. It's certainly not me. I mean, I'm the lowest of the Benjaminites. I'm in the smallest tribe. I I don't do anything, and God says, no, no, I think I'm going to use you to overthrow the Midianites. Of course, we know he throws out two fleeces. He gets him an army of 32,000 people. The next thing you know, God removes 22,000 of them. The next thing you know, he removes the army down to 300. And then the battle plan is pretty interesting. Three groups of 100. Let's get some, uh, some uh, lanterns. And at the same time, let's break them and shout. And the Lord, what? Delivered them undeniably from their difficulty. And so we can rejoice when God delivers us. Amen. What do we do when he doesn't? Because what happens here, if we think about what happened in the very first part of chapter 12, God delivers Peter, but he doesn't deliver James, John's brother. He's executed. He's put to death. So it causes me to ask the question, what do we do when, we, when he doesn't deliver? Especially when it's not our timing, our way. What do we do? Well, we still walk by faith and we still live obediently. Why? Because great is the reward in heaven for those of us that will do that, right? So no matter what situation you're in today, whether the Lord delivers you the way you want him to deliver you or delivers the way that he wants to deliver you, or even if he allows you not to be delivered, you still got to be faithful and rejoice in him. Since I was with you uh, last, I, I, thought this, I thought I'd thought i preach for you this year, but obviously that was not the case. I was looking back at my records. Actually, last time I was here was a year ago, May i thinking, how time flies when you're getting old, I guess. But uh, since then, you know, my brother Ray had died and we had his funeral. But, you know, one of the things about Ray that uh, I just really, really respect is that, um, you know, when he was uh, diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer back in um, October of 2017, you know, we prayed for a miracle. You know, here's a guy who loved the Lord and led me to Christ back in 70. We prayed for a miracle, but that miracle didn't come. And then as Ray's life began to unfold uh, before him in the very last days, he went from saying, no, don't pray for my deliverance, pray for my witness, that people would come to Christ, and then pray for my sanity, because he wanted to write a particular a module that I'm beginning to put together now, a year and a half after his death. First time I've really been able to concentrate and think about it. But, um, so that progression was, God's not going to save my life. Pancreatic cancer is going to kill me. I am going to be dead soon. And to be able to still walk faithfully and walk obediently. And one of the great testimonies of his life is in the last, literally the last hours of his life, he had his immediate family around him. And uh, one of the things that he was able to do is bless his family, his, his children and grandchildren. So the Lord does deliver us, and it is undeniable. But also, let's be reminded that sometimes he doesn't, but we faithfully serve him in any anyway. And then the last thing I want you to notice is the uninhibited praise that, uh, that he has uh, or what the church does. And so notice verse 16, Peter, however, kept knocking on the door, and when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. And the, uh, the message Bible says they went wild. <laughs> And so it must have been a pretty celebra- celebratory—get the word out right—happening uh, because they were so loud that Peter was concerned that something might—you know—they might find him. And goes, whoa, whoa, whoa! Be quiet! Be quiet! Be quiet! Um, and I couldn't—I couldn't help but imagining. Uh, there's two instances I can think about. Um, one was in Ohio Stadium uh, when uh, I—in fact, I watched the replay Friday night of the double overtime game that when we beat Michigan. Uh, being in the stands when Samuel ran around the corner and we ended up beating Michigan, the crowd went wild. I mean, wild. I remember being at, uh, at Nationwide Arena the first time we ever won a playoff game uh, as the Columbus Blue Jackets, and we were only about, about eight rows from the ice that night when Felino scored that goal. Um, And how the crowd went wild. In fact, my my son-in-law to this day says, I've never seen a crowd go wild or hear, hear the noise so loud as when that happened that particular night. And I thought to myself, you know, when's the last time we went wild for the Lord? When's the last time you lost your mind for the Lord? That your praise was so powerful and coming out of you that you didn't care about what was going on, who you're with, what people would say, what they would think, but you were just in the presence of the Lord and you shouted. Now we do that when we praise, you know, when we sing songs, you know, some of us are a little bit more, you know, uh, excited, I guess, when music plays than others. But I know that people praise in different ways. You don't have to always be, you know, so effervescent. But the reality is when God does something for our good, which he does all the time, We really should be filled with uninhibited praise, shouldn't we? We should just want to shout for the Lord um, as uh, the Bible teaches us. In fact, if um, if you were to turn back real quick in your Bibles as we close this morning to Psalms 144, 45, 46, 47, 48, and 49, you'll see just how much these last Psalms just talk about shouting praise. I'll praise the Lord all my life. I'll sing for the Lord as long as I live. Praise the Lord from the heavens, Psalm 148 says. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all your angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, highest heaven. Praise Him from the waters above the heavens. Let the, Praise the name of the Lord. Let it be commanded uh, that they were created. Them, set them in position forever and ever, and He gave an order that will never pass away. Then he talks about just praising the Lord from the earth, all the sea monsters and the ocean depths and the lightning and the hail and the snow and the cloud, the wind, and all these other things. He says, just praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord. And I know about you, but we've had a pretty easy fall um, so far. And, um, man, some of the sunsets and sunrises have been unbelievable, haven't they? I mean, just really, really neat. And there have been a couple times I've literally walked outside my door and just started shouting to the Lord. I'm sure the golfers probably think I've lost my mind. But uh, well, that guy's crazy right there. You are stay away from his house. But you know, when we think about being thankful for things, yeah, we can see a lot of things. But you know, there's sometimes the things we can't see. We can't see intercessory prayer. We can experience it and feel it. Sometimes we can't see the supernatural assistance that the Lord is giving us. Sometimes we don't realize the undeniable the deliverance that the Lord brings to our lives and when those things happen sometimes we just don't praise the Lord like we should do we and I don't know about you but I hope that you're a holy hand lifter and I hope you get excited now, I've been in a couple places where I thought I was going to go back to Costa a couple times and throw out my hanky and start waving it and running up and down the aisle and shouting I do remember not too long ago I was at bloom that's where I'm a member and there was a song that came on so it's you, music has always encouraged my heart. Um, I love all kinds of genres of music. And uh, now that we can uh, basically just get things off the airwaves, I, I listen to Christian music more and more and more and more. Though still, I, I, I still do like my Motown funk at times. And I certainly, I certainly like my C&W at times, I, I've, especially Chris Stapleton. My wife's got me listen to him now. And he's, uh, he, he's got some really good, meaningful songs. But But, you know, music moves us. And, and there was this song, Amazing Grace Absolutely was a song. And, and uh, guys, I don't think I've maybe done this maybe three, four, five times in my life. But I don't know what it was that morning. Well, I know what it was. It was the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, just a real, realization of what happened. And I was sitting there, you know, people were singing the song, and we were sitting down for some reason, which is unusual for us that morning. But literally, I mean, in a moment, this song was... And I stood up at the top of my lungs with my hands raised. And I said, glory be to the Lord. Glory to God. And I mean, I just kept saying it over. And I know that people sit next to me like, wait a minute. Jack Jack must be high on something. But but the reality was in that moment, in that moment, there could have been 10,000 people in the building. And I had no idea. All I know is that that song that day spoke to my heart in that moment. And all I could do was praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord. So uh, we've, uh, we've not had a praise group today. You don't have your normal pastor here today. And so we we'll are gonna do something rather unusual. Now, there's a song that I love. It talks about the praise of the Lord. And so we're going to, it's going to be our invitation song. So I'm going to ask you to to stand, and I'm going to ask the guys to cue it. If you have a decision you want to make for the Lord, one of the things that we should always praise the Lord for is our salvation. If you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus today, what are you waiting for? There's nothing that will bring praise and purpose and peace to your life than a relationship with him. If you need to make a decision for Christ today, I'm going to encourage you to make a decision for Christ today. And you come take me by the hand, and I know, or take me. I'll stand here, actually. I'm going to sing the song with you. But if you have a decision, I know we're in these COVID days. If you want me to pray with you, for you, whatever, you come see me right up front. But this is a song uh, that I hope you know, and I hope that you can sing along with it. It's about five minutes long. We'll endure that. This will be our benediction. But uh, let's everything that has praise and everything that has breath, Praise the Lord.